Welcome to the Numa Church Podcast. For more information on all things Numa, please contact us on our website, numa.church. Now get ready for another inspirational message. Well, in a couple of weeks' time, we've got our vision refresher. So on the, on the 2nd of February, we're going to go through again all the things that our senior pastors feel like God is leading us uh, in the direction of the church. But today, I really just felt to focus on our own personal vision because you know what? There's a corporate vision, but each of us play a part in our own spheres, in our own walks of life uh, as well. So it's very important for us not just to buy into what is happening corporately, but actually hear our own personal revelation uh, into what God is speaking in our lives individually. And so really felt God bring me back to Abraham. So if you've been with us for a little while, you'll notice that on the either side of the new year, um, really felt God first speak about Terah, Abraham's father, the man who started the journey but settled in Haran and ultimately missed what God had for him. And then we picked up the story a couple of weeks ago about Abraham, how God is a curse breaker. God didn't bring up what his father did. God gave Abraham an opportunity to step up and carry forward uh, what God had placed on his family's life. And so he made that journey, went to the promised land. But where to from here? So we're going to be concluding on the story today because the story does go on. What I love about Abraham, Abraham's story is indicative and reflective of each and every one of our own walk with God. And we're going to unpack several chapters. I'm going to work your hands on the Bible, work your fingers on the iPhone. Uh, we're going to be going through a lot of scripture this morning. And so, but before we get into the word, I guess I want to recap what's happened since he's arrived into the promised land. See, in chapter 13 and 14 of Genesis, we hear about how Abraham went through Egypt because there was a famine in the land, went through uh, Egypt. Then with his nephew Lot, they actually grew too big for where they were living, so they separated. Um, Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Abraham went the other direction. And just a side note, even on that, see, Abraham was the elder. Abraham uh, was the one that God had called, and yet he gave Lot the opportunity to decide where he would go. And it's interesting because Lot chose to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, the interesting thing about that is that the one thing that I feel God is speaking, even just on that alone, that see, for me, I feel that if Abraham had gone to Sodom and Gomorrah, I don't think it gets destroyed. Because it's not about the demographic, it's about the anointing on the person that follows what God has for their life that ultimately makes a difference. Anyway, so then what happens is Lot gets um, taken captive with his family, Abraham rescues Lot, they settle into the new home, and this is where we pick up the story. Does anyone want to repeat what I just said? No. It's a lot to get through. But anyway, we pick up the story, Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 7, which says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me uh, no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then verse 7, he said, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So again, a couple of weeks ago, we heard when Abram got to the promised land that God said to him, I'm going to give you all of this. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be too numerous to count at that moment. And so we pick up the story. We don't know how many years have gone by, but here we are again, and God is reminding Abram of the promise that he has on his life. And yet it's interesting, it's very fascinating, because at this point, Abram actually questions God. 
He asked the question, like, what are you going to give me? I don't have any children. I've only got Eliezer of Damascus. I've got a slave. I don't have a child. So Abram questions God. And the reality is it's a very valid question. Like, God, you're saying you're going to bless me uh, through my offspring. Um, We're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, but I don't physically have a child, and I'm pretty old. I don't know if it's possible. So it's a very valid question. And it's actually a reminder that Abram is no different to you and I. See, many a time God speaks into your life for 2020 and beyond. These are the plans that I have for your life. This is the influence that I want you to have. And often we question, but God, I can't speak. Oh, God, I don't have this. I'm not them. I'm not that. And so we're in good company when we think of it that way. And so Abram had his moments of doubt. But what I love is that God didn't punish Abram for doubting. Often we think God's going to punish us because we doubt. God didn't punish Abram for doubting, and he doesn't punish us for doubting. But what happens is we miss out on what he has for our life when we choose to give it to doubt and not into faith. So God takes it one step further. He gives Abram a visual illustration. He's like, come on, Abram, come outside. See, Around that time, in the Middle East, there would have been around, to the naked eye, there would have been around 8,000 stars that he would have seen. So God brings him out and says, count the number of stars in the sky, greater than this will I make you. Bigger, thinking bigger. Not giving into the doubt, but actually giving him something bigger. This is what I have for you. Because you see, God doesn't need human resources. God doesn't need the practical things that we think to bring his purpose. And so Abram's faith was restored. And it says in verse 6 that he believed, he being Abraham, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. See, I love that because of his faith, what was given was righteousness. Often we think of religious, uh, we we think of it in a religious focus, and if I do the right things, God will give me. No, no. Seek thee first the kingdom of God, come with faith, he credits righteousness to you. It's an overflow of his, his influence in our life, not things that we attain to. So our faith does not go overlooked. Um, according to God. But the one thing that we understand, and even seeing from chapter 12 to chapter 15, is that faith requires us to wait patiently for God to move and trust that He will move. But what is the danger of having to wait on God to move? Well, one of the dangers is that we can take matters into our own hands. See, Abram, at this point, he's feeling, I mean, God Himself is speaking to him. He's like, wow, this is going to be incredible. But then straight into chapter 16, we see that Abram's faith hits a curb. See, Abraham was 86 years old. And so to summarize, we're not going to read chapter 16, but to summarize it, his wife, Sarai, Sarah, as she would later be known, starts thinking, well, wait a second, this doesn't add up. Like, you're 86, I'm in my 80s, like, (laughs) there's no chance that I can physically give birth. I've got an idea. God will bless you, but it's not going to be through me. So why don't you actually go to sleep with my slave, Hagar, and actually make it come to pass in that moment. And, and it's interesting that because Sarah didn't believe, she then encouraged Abraham to deviate from what God had for the whole family and make things happen by himself. See, in this moment, this was beyond a doubt. It was a failure in faith that is more than a question, but an attempt to provide by human needs what the Lord has already promised supernaturally. And because his wife didn't believe, Abram decided to choose to believe that it wasn't possible and acted out God's will by going and sleeping with Hagar. And as a result, they had a son, Ishmael. Um, and, and again, encourage you to read a bit more about that there. But for time's sake, we're just paraphrasing this part. See, the reality is in our life, people mean well. You might have something that God has put on your heart and people mean well and say, really? Like, 
you, like God's called you to do, oh, maybe, maybe what he actually means is this. And so they mean well. They don't do it from dubious intentions. Some do, but those closest to us usually don't. But what can happen is that when we focus on the voices that are separate to what God has, people can detract you from what God has, especially what he has said and spoken into your life. So we need to be mindful of the counsel that's around us. We need to be mindful of what we're counseling others to do. See, my role as a pastor is not to be your source of the Word of God every week. My role as a pastor is to empower you to come back to the source and get your own revelation in your own walk, in your own life. But too often we, 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 we separate our own intimacy with God to come and get a revelation from someone else and try to live in a secondhand revelation when God is saying, I want you to come to me. And what can happen is when we do read the Word of God, we can put the characters in the Bible on this pedestal of perfection. I know that when I've read Abraham before, many a time I've thought that this was a man that didn't get anything wrong. And, and I've put all these characters in the Bible as people that were perfect. But the reality is they were no different to you and I. See, we have the benefit of hindsight. But for Abraham, he was living in the moment. He was like getting older and thinking, well, wait a second, I've got to make something happen here. And many of us put ourselves in that position. We do that too. We've been in Abram's position, maybe not literally speaking here, but definitely spiritually speaking, where we question, well, God, the years are going past. Nothing is happening. Maybe I need to go and make it happen. If God is saying go, you go. If God is saying wait, you wait. But often what happens is God says wait, and they're like, no, I can't wait anymore, and then I go. And then I wonder why God's favor is not on what I'm doing. But again, it all comes down to your intimacy with God. Because faith requires patience. See, Abram looked at the natural. It wasn't what he wanted. It wasn't what he expected. And so he decided to take matters into his own hands. How many times have we tried to help God? <laughs> tried to fill in the gaps. I, I tell you what, out of the hundred times that I've tried, I've failed a hundred times. It doesn't work out well. But see, for many of us, we look at what Abram did. Because technically, he's committed adultery here, right? That's what he's done. So we look at what he has done, and many of us, would, this would spell the end of our walk, ultimately giving it to shame and guilt. This actually doesn't come from God. This comes from a wrong perception of God's nature. We do not give God the opportunity to show his true nature, that he, in fact, is a redeeming God of second chances. How do I know this? Well, let's go to chapter 17, verses 1 to 8. When Abram was 99 years old, so picture this, he was 86 in the previous chapter, 99, 13 years have gone by. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenants between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Interesting there. God didn't disqualify Abraham. Couldn't be like, oh, mate, 
You had your chance, buddy. Bad luck. Could have done that. And many of us, you know, even in our own walk, when someone wrongs us, that's it. You've had your chance. But yet here, God comes back to him, didn't punish him, didn't require Abram to make it up to him and just say, okay, we'll start behaving well for a few years and then we'll see what happens. No, no, no. What he does, he required faithfulness and blamelessness. That's all. Which means serving God and being the best you can be. It's going back to God, not going away from God, but coming back to God and allowing his plans and purposes to work through you. He redeemed Abraham and he restored him. He went one step further and changed his name. So no longer was he just telling him what he was going to do. He actually labeled him who he was going to be. Abraham meaning the father of many nations. What do you label yourself? What do you label your circumstances? Because the reality is that what we label is what we attain to. You know, I read this quote um, in one of John C. Maxwell's books on leadership. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the guy's name, but it's Gothi. So I'm going to say it. I'll go away. Anyway, it's not the point. But his quote is, Treat a man as he appears to be, and you make him worse. But treat a man as he already were what he potentially could be, and you make him what he should be. See, we live in a society that we tell people what they're not, but God is saying, start speaking, start prophesying in situations. Stop speaking what will be. And you will see what will happen. See, God vows to continue his promise to Abraham. Abraham responded in worship. That's what I love. He stepped into the identity of what God had called him to be. See, I feel that there are people here that need to hear this this morning, that no matter what you've done, for God, this does not defile or define what he believes that you can be. Let me say that again. No matter what you've done, For God, this does not defile or define what he believes you can be. He believes you can be greater. Greatness comes through his grace. What is grace? It's the unmerited favor. Is that no matter what, hey, that's what you've done, but that's not who you are. You are a son, you are a daughter of the Most High God. He restores and redeems So as 2020, as we go into beyond what our personal ministry is, what is God calling me to do? What legacy is he calling me to leave behind? Know that your goals are not dead based on what you've done or even if you get it wrong. Abram got it wrong. And we're going to continue reading in his story. He got it wrong again a few times. But yet God still believed that that was greater on his life. See, Abraham's legacy was not determined by his perfection, which like I said, often we put these people on a pedestal Abraham was not perfect by any means, but he was always repenting. What is repenting? Repositioning, refocusing, realigning, recalibrating, coming back to the Father. And this led to his ongoing faithfulness. And whether his faithfulness in God, faithfulness being not just faith in believing what God has said, but actually coming back and having time with God and hearing what he's speaking into your life, faithfulness leads to greater intimacy with God. See, Abraham was faithful, and it led to a blessing of his family. So again, back in chapter 17, verses 15 to 16, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. So again, God reminds Abram again. He starts prophesying over Abram again, but now into his family as well. 
And again, in doing so, what God is doing here, he's demonstrating that his greatness is far greater than any human expectation. Whenever we think that we've got God figured out in a box, he is bigger, he is better, he is greater than what we could ever hope, dare, dream, or imagine. But then it's fascinating because, again, Abraham doubted once again. Verses 17 and 18. We read of chapter 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Fascinating that again, isn't that? He's already heard it many a time. It's like, okay, that's crazy, God. (laughs) That's good, but I'm old. I'm old. I can barely keep up like walking anywhere. I can't actually look after a child. It just doesn't make sense, God. But yet again, God doesn't reject Abraham. He shows again that his love is patient. When Paul talks about love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, he's not just saying beautiful. He's actually talking about the nature of God. See, God was so patient with Abraham. I think many of us <laughs> would be like, honestly, you know what? I'm just going to get it done myself. See you later, Abraham. But yet God was patient with Abraham. Verses 19 and 20. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. See, God had seen Abraham's heart. You know, the picture that I, that I got when I was preparing for this sermon, it was actually very funny because I was, um, I've, I've had Lexi at home with me on, on days that I work from home because she's starting school in a couple of weeks and she'll tell you she's ready to move out already even though she's going into prep. Like, such is such a big thing for her. And I was watching her try different things and getting it wrong. And it was just cute. And she'd be like, and she'd come to me like, oh, I'm so proud. Just keep trying. It's cute. I could see her heart. A for effort. I could see that. And then just God painted this beautiful picture that in this moment, when Abraham there is laughing, when Abraham there is saying, no, God, you can't do it. He's like, oh, my son, I see your heart. It's cute. Trust me. It's going to happen. Just trust me. The David translation right there. Because his thoughts were pure. But again, what what is it about Abraham? Well, he submitted before God. He didn't withhold these things. He laughed in God's presence and said, it's not possible. What can happen is whenever we doubt, we don't even go to God. We just keep those doubts to ourselves. When God is saying, come to me with your thoughts and your prayers, and I will show you mysterious things you do not yet know about. Jeremiah 33.3. We withhold. And then we wonder why we don't grow in our intimacy with God. And then we wonder why we give up on on what God has called us. See, the dreams that God gives us, when you come closer to God, they're God-given dreams. They're God-empowered dreams. I mean, again, I just mentioned Jeremiah 33, 3, but 33, 2 says, For I, the Lord, bring about these things, and I say to you, come to me with your thoughts and your prayers, and I will show you mysterious things you do not yet know about. But we withhold. Verse 21, But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, who, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. It's gone up to the next level. Now he's prophesying time. You've waited 13 years, my friend. Hey, you've even tried to do it yourself, but this time next year, watch what I'm going to do. So it was a reminder again of the prophecy. This is a journey. We read it as like a five-minute reading from chapter 15 through 17, but this is a 
14-year journey. So God, again, is reminding him. And he reminds us in this that our posture should always be before God. Our posture, you know, doubt may come, doubt will come. But when doubt comes, rather than buying into the doubt and finding every reason why not, it's an opportunity for us to run back to God and find every reason why he can. Because doubts will come. There are many times, even in my own journey, not just as a pastor, but in every season of my life where I have doubted myself as well. But I go back to his word. What does God's word say? One of our, our, our values is that God's word is our foundation. What does God's word say? This is the only book that tells you who you are, that reads you better than anyone else can read you, than any other resource can read you. So go back to God. Don't discredit what he can do. Don't discredit that. Don't discredit yourself because of your past. That shouldn't disqualify your future. This is a, Abraham's story. is a very reminder that his past mistakes did not define his future legacy. When we think about Abraham as a man of faith, we don't think about the times he got it wrong. His legacy is defined by what he actually got right with God. How many of us, how many of our legacies would be defined if we just repented, recalibrated, realigned with God's will for our life? Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, who is called? All of us. Jesus died for all, not for some. And, and it's like, well, that's, that's great, David. Like, I, I hear what you say, but if you knew the mistakes that I made, David, if you knew what I had done, David, no, no, that's not going to happen. Well, you know what? While Ishmael was blessed, that actually came from an error of judgment in Abraham trying to do God's work for him. And yet, God still blessed Ishmael. God still made that assurance to, to Abraham that I will bless that. So no matter what mistake you may have made, our God, as it says here in Romans 8.28, God can turn that into good. Yeah. Don't define your life by what you've got wrong. Yeah. Define your life by every time how you've come back to God. Yeah. And so my question to you, church, as we reflect in this is, do you go to God with everything or do you just go to God with some things? See, Abraham developed greater intimacy with God because of his honest heart and faithfulness before God. See, the more you trust God and focus on him, you realize that trust goes both ways. See, Genesis 18, we're going to read 16 to, to 33, but giving the context before I read that. You know, in Genesis 18, again, the Lord appears to Abraham. So now they've got this relationship where Abraham's not just going to God, but God is coming to Abraham. And he appears in, in the form of these three men. And, and again, just the, 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 the backstory is that he's just having a, bit, they're having a bit of a chat with Abraham. Abraham, you know, is there in hospitality with God, and he makes the comment, hey, that's your wife. She's going to give birth next year. She laughs. And again, he, he says to her, hey, you laughed. No, I didn't. We've heard that before. And then there's like, I heard you laugh. Mark my words. This time next year, watch what's going to happen. And then we pick up the story uh, in verses 16 to 33. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. 
Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and the sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went, to, went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. The audacity to speak to God here. Yeah? Far be it from you to do such a thing. To put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, But wait, there's more. It's like the Demtel out over here, and now he's negotiating right here. Does anyone remember Demtel? That's a bit of a tangent. Okay, no, okay. Oh, the, everyone's too young. Abby, you're right. Everyone's too young. Abraham answered, verse 27, and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, I, who, I who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 of them, he answered. I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I said sorry a lot here, but hey, God, I'm really sorry. But suppose 20 of them, he answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 of them, he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. I love how God appeared again. I love how God in that chapter 18 reminded of the prophecy, despite Abraham again in his journey, trying to make things happen himself again, not actually bringing up his past, but submitting to God again for his future. God comes again. God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and I love that what we see here is a little Trinity family, family meeting. God Jesus, Holy Spirit, they're talking, hey, we're going to go and destroy this. Should we let Abraham know? Like, should we let him in on our plans? Uh, what's going on? That tells you that Abraham was more than just a little pawn in this whole thing. Actually, he was valued. He was part of that family. He was valued as someone of significance to God. And so God tells Abraham. And I love that there's a level of comfort and trust that Abraham can speak up. God, the creator of all things, has just said what he's going to do. And Abraham has the audacity, the faithful audacity to speak up and say, hey, God, wait, wait, wait a second. Far be it from you to do something like this. The level of comfort and trust in him speaking up. And I love that. That's one part. But then I love that God doesn't actually dismiss what Abraham says. Listen, you adulterous man who makes, takes matters into your own hands. Stuff you, mate. I'm God. I'm going to do what I want. He's like, you know what? That's a very valid point. If there are 50 there, I'll save it. If there are 45 there, I'll save it. If there are 10 there, I'll save it. He agrees to the plea. He agrees to what Abraham intercedes on behalf of Lot. See, because when Abraham was talking, he wasn't necessarily talking about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he had in mind, hey, my nephew Lot is there. My family's there. I don't want to see my family die. I don't want to see that. So I'm going to intercede for him. And ultimately, Lot and his daughters survive. It's a beautiful illustration of what relationship with God should be. See, relationship with God should be both ways. See, John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For from apart 
from me, you can do nothing. God wants intimacy, wants us to abide with him, wants us to be faithful with him. God wants to, be, wants to trust you with his plans, with his dreams, with his vision. He wants to make you a voice for a generation. He wants to make you a voice for society. In a, in a society that is going further and further away from God, God is calling us to get further further into that and be a voice for a generation. But he doesn't send us on his own. He wants to abide with us in that. That's why he gives you dreams. That's why he gives you visions. That's why he gives you a voice. Press in. Pray. Intercede. Believe that if God can use someone like Abraham that got it wrong over a hundred years, what can God do for you and through you? Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness comes again. And all these things will be added to you. See, when you live a life of constant communion with God, You realize that he trusts you with more because he is a giving and faithful God himself. And all that he asks is that in return. Not performance, but faithfulness. And together you realize that faithfulness and righteousness go hand in hand. I'm going to invite the band to come up. See, when you're faithful to God, your confidence and identity are formed in him. As we read in Genesis 15.6, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So then righteousness is credited to you. What is righteousness? Well, it's not about performance. It's not about attainment. It's actually the overflow of the encounter of who God really is. Well, he talks about several times. I mean, even here, one of our very early advocates, he's telling Abraham about justice, mercy, bringing that. Bringing that, not just in the walls of the church. For us, in our modern day, it's not about the walls of the church, but it's beyond that. It's an overflow of God's goodness when you are faithful to him. It's about excellence over perfection. See, we're not always going to get it right. Shouldn't necessarily go in with the attitude, oh, I'm not going to get the right, God's going to restore. No, excellence is, you know what, God, I am going to give it the very best that I can. God, I am going to give it, I'm going to go and speak up, I'm going to go and speak to people, encourage people, prophesy, pray for people. I'm going to give it the very best. It's not about our job to get the outcome. That's his job. Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos waters it, but God is the one who makes it grow. But when, Lord, I will do my very best and I will start off by coming to you and learning what you have for me and I'm going to take those steps and be faithful to that, I'm going to wait on your time. Then what happens is that you start to understand that God starts giving you more and more. He who's trusted with little, much more will be given. So whilst we won't always get it right, it's always important for us to go back to him and get right with God. Kind of like, you know, again, that cute example I gave, little Lexi trying something. And, and, and coming up and, you know, hey, that's okay. Let's try it again. Well done. You tried. You know, better to try to do what God's got his will for your life than not try at all and sit on the sidelines and wonder what if. Go back to him always. Romans 5.8, For God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. So that already shows you he wants your heart, not your performance. Familiarity. The more familiar you are with someone, the more that person can be vulnerable and trust. Like for example, right? I mean, um, my 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 physique, my athletic physique. Should tell you I like sport. Like, oh, why? Why are you laughing, man? No, no. But uh, I wish I looked like Rude. But anyway, that's different. Uh, put him on the spot. Anyway, I always pick on Rude. But often, what can happen is I'm watching a sport. I'm a massive NBA fan, and I'll be watching a basketball game. And how many of us, maybe, when we get in that position, we become armchair critics? 
Hello, if that was me, man, oh, I would have told him to do this, this, that, this, that. Now, can you imagine if I went, my beloved Portland Trailblazers, I fly up to Portland, I rock up. I mean, if they let me into the stadium first with security, that'd be a bit crazy. But can you imagine if I got in there and I got into a huddle and said, you should be doing this, you should be doing that, you should be doing this, what would the players do? Who on earth is this guy? Get him out. But yet the coach comes and does the same thing. What happens? Most times they do listen. When they don't, they lose. That happens. But, but familiarity. God's not going to trust you with something if you only come to him once in a blue moon. It's like a, it's like a, this, it's like a, it, it, it'd be crazy. Like giving the reins of something to a child. Like that, that's pretty much what it is, right? But, but familiarity, when you come in faithfulness with God and you get familiar, you understand the context of what he's saying. So what happens in your own personal life, I, don't, I, I can only speak to, from this on my own experience, that I find that the more faithful I've come to God, the more I fall in love with His Word. The more that I read things that I would have overlooked in the past, that all of a sudden just stand out to me. The more that I feel God saying, I want you to speak, encourage that person, speak to that person, speak my life to me. The more I find that He entrusts me, even to the point where I can share with you amazing people this morning. That doesn't come because I'm a gifted speaker. I'm far from it. It's because I started being faithful to God even long before I was anyone in the church. Just trusting God. Just give me my little and let me just encourage anyone. Faithfulness brings familiarity and He credits, credits righteousness to you. Secondly, trust God with what He has placed in your heart. God's dreams do defy logic. Just because it doesn't happen the way that you expected it to happen does not mean that God is not in it. His promises, His plans in our life are not determined by the length of time. His time is not ours. One of the most beautiful yet frustrating passages of the Bible is 2 Peter 3.8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. I love how he chucks beloved in that. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Again, just because it doesn't happen the way you expect it or in the time you expect it, doesn't mean that God's not in it. God waits. Press in. Press in. Even in those times where, where the flesh is weak, press in. I mean, Jesus himself, on the eve when he was going to get crucified, in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying, tears of blood, sweating, blood. I've, I've never been that stressed or anxious that blood has come out of me. But even in that moment, rather than do things himself, he goes, Father, if it is your will to take this cup from me, do it. But your will be done. He paints the perfect blueprint that no matter where you are and what God has called you, we are only one prayer away from seeing His righteousness in our life. Keep pressing in because familiarity, again, you understand, you hear His plan. With familiarity, there is comfort and trust that you can intercede here, God gives Abraham an opportunity to literally save people's lives. He intercedes for a circumstance. How many of us intercede for our families, for our friends? I would say probably a lot of us do. But how many of us intercede for our community? How many of us intercede for our workplaces, our managers, our government? How many of us intercede? 
we're all commanded. We're all equipped. We're all expected, just like Abraham, to go in there and intercede on behalf of this. Not just on a Sunday, but every single day. We're all entrusted to play a beautiful part in relationship with God and actually leaving a legacy in our great nation of Australia and beyond. How cool is that? I mean, I think for me, it overwhelms me that all of us get invited into that. So when you intercede, you abide in his favour, you change the world, the legacy lasts a lifetime. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So again, many, many of us might have started on January the 1st on fire and every goal and said, and, and and often they say it's within 21 days you either lock into what the goal is or, or you fall by the wayside. And you might be at that point now where it's like, I'm not seeing change. I've done all the right things, but I'm not seeing change. Can I encourage you? The right thing to do is just go before God. God, I can't do it on my own strength. Reveal to me your plans for my life. Let me seek you, not just for what I want, but just let me seek you for who you are. And when I discover who I am in you, I know that you can use me to do absolutely anything, God. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.